welcome back to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I am Jack Draper. With me, we spent three years in the Arctic Zone in a heck of a lot of Army-Navy games. It's Clay Williams. Army-Navy games. That immediately, of course, puts me as like, oh, you know, David uh, David Robinson, great, former, uh, one of the few basketball players who uh, graduated from the Navy Academy. Uh, and went to Navy College and played for the Navy, sure. which just doesn't really happen anymore. He was uh, nicknamed yeah. the Admiral, um, and uh, he's a great little, he's a he's a great guy, great guy. Um, I, I also thought of this, of course. Um, right. Well, this line stuck, <laughs> sticks out because this is the one of the few moments in um, the major motion picture where I'd say Brad Pitt leans into that movie star charisma that that we all know, and then like I think scenes following. Uh, just goes back to that um, more introspective performance style. But it's a great little scene. Um, we, I think, I think this is one of your, like, most, like, like once we started this, this has got to be, like, at the top of your list for, for film stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, that, that applies to both me and Roxana because... Um, this is true. This is yes. true. It was my favorite of that year. Um, In a great year. Great year. Solid year. And, great year. And we started the podcast, was it in 2019? Like October? Yeah, uh, October 2019, yeah. Right. Oh my God, um, five years? Oh my God. No. I know, we're right stupid. Why are we doing this? We haven't, um, we haven't gotten much better. Since no, not at all. Um, gotten, gotten worse. Since yeah, quality just is really steadily gone down degrading. Lately. Just really right. bad. The numbers have gone down. The advertising. We're the Simpsons, basically. Um, <laughs> the, the Simpsons s- are allegedly good again. Allegedly, I have not watched. Yeah. Show me a dead. Show me a body when it's dead. You know. What I'm I mean? just like, repeating what I have been that. told. But Clay, who, who's yes, told you this? Who's who's who, who's uh, we, this, who's the bird in your ear? We ran a piece. We ran a piece at Vulture, written by uh, senior editor Jesse David Fox, in which he said that it's like really good again. Didn't it win the Emmy? I don't know, but doesn't it always win the Emmy? I'm. Well, I'm, we'll, we'll we'll come back What's to that. What's the Emmy? Uh, animated animated program. Now, have we won an Emmy? Say we have I not won an Emmy. Actually, I don't actually believe that it's good again. I've just been told that it's good again. Sure, I yes. wouldn't be okay. shocked. That's a good clarification. I mean, you have to eventually be good again after that. Like you know, it's one of those things where it's like you know, just the law of probability. Like with that many episodes, you, you just have to find years being right. Like not right. that good. Right. So. Could, yeah. Now it's great that you clarified yourself. You can already see the headlines. Uh, Vulture writer <laughs> Roxana Hadati says Simpsons in its best air ever. No. <laughs> or it'll be <laughs> like... Says Simpsons better than it ever was. Like, no, it's not great. a question it's great. You gotta mark. Oh my yourself. god. Yeah, right. the worst kind of headline. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but Clint, I just this for movie once was yeah. in your in your top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. It came out in November. No, wait. They tried to do it in the summer, didn't they? They tried to call their shot. I don't remember it being in the no, summer. It, it, well, it, pre- it premiered in Venice. Right. Uh, and then got a release late September after yeah. its premiere. It was like Venice. the September dead zone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, so I yeah. must have seen but it like, right before we started the podcast. That's fucking weird. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this was, yeah, it's been my favorite since 2019. I've seen it um, three or four times, I think three. Um, it hit me like a bag of fucking bricks when I first saw it. Um, I am a firm believer that sad sad men in space is a fantastic genre and should be upheld to the end of time um uh you know first man interstellar this i it's just mm-hmm. my bread and butter um and television now i mean less so but like the expanse for all mankind uh you know roxana is an expert for all mankind um I just reviewed a new show which came out this week on Apple TV called Constellation starring Numi Rapace, which is about a space mom. So yeah, mm-hmm. space parents. Mm-hmm. A recurring troupe. I, I suppose gravity can be lumped into that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If we, if we if we shall. If we shall. Yeah, if we shall. That's important. Yeah. Um, high life. You can put high life in there. High life. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's true. Is the Numi Rapace show good? I enjoy the Numi Rapace show. It's a fun time. I mean, it's very much more thriller, whereas For All Mankind is, like, a really, like, a political drama with, like, thriller elements. But right. the Numi show is good. Uh, it has a lot of horror stuff. Gave me a good amount of nightmares, which, you know, makes me usually pretty pro I could use right now. Show. Yeah, I think that it is uh, fairly immersive, and I'm pretty sure that... Th- the first three episodes all premiered the first week, so you could give those three a try. See how you feel. You're an about Expanse it. head, then... right? I I didn't make that up in my head. No. Oh, that's right. That's the show I've been begging been you to watch. List. That's right. Yes, that's it's right. always that's been right. on my list, and we have not watched it. And now that Prime has ads, I'm like, am I ever gonna watch it? I <laughs> and freebies going away. Yeah, and they cut freebie. I was also like, this is bef- I at that point I had seen Lost City of Z, and I think that would be my mm-hmm. only James Gray film that I saw before mm-hmm. this. Um, so I, I think I was more interested in the Brad Pitt of it all, because um, sure. I mean that year is such a banger for him. Um, mm-hmm. We'll talk about it. And mm-hmm. he. And he was—he's always been one of my favorite actors. Uh, you know, there's stuff now that makes me question whether you know. This, uh, I am less on his, like I'm less beating the drum of Brad Pitt nowadays, uh, just because I don't. I mean, I think we can say uh, that Brad Pitt, we all know now, is probably a bad man. A man yes. who has done bad things. I mean, most likely like, that it most is that likely is, that is has the case. done not great things. There is a certain level of irony to the fact that we are talking about a film in which he confronts his own uh, emotionally and physically distant father, when, by all accounts and purposes, I don't think he's been photographed with his children in like seven years. Since Oof, the divorce of Angelina Jolie started, so uh, I think it's been seven years. I think it's been like a long ass time. So we can we can like talk about you know we don't have to talk about that. We can acknowledge that off the bat. 
while also saying uh, Brad Pitt is a phenomenal actor. <laughs> and yeah, he's just one of the most like, watchable actors yeah. ever. I, I think this movie yeah. that year, 2019, is like, to me, the the two Brad modes. The fact that he can do something this introspective and uh, really centered on him and his charisma and his watchability and also do something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where, again, uh, he is playing like not a great person um, but doing it incredibly <laughs> compellingly and hotly. Again, irony. You know, exactly. So, it's yeah. you know, honestly, there is a lot of... Uh, sort of fascinating conversation to be had about Brad Pitt's image and how complicated it has become post Angelina Mm -hmm. Jolie divorce. Um, I apologize for again being like my colleague at Vulture. Um, But Angelica Jade Bastien at Vulture has done like fantastic writing about like Brad and how he uses his image to both compliment and sort of contradict his work. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, we'll talk about it, of course. But I think yeah. for probably a lot of people, this was their first James Gray. Because, yes, mm-hmm. he's had, of course, he's had movie stars in his films before. Like, I, I, I remember We Own the Night being, like, a sort of talked about uh, movie. And, of course, like, The Immigrant was big. Lost City of Z, mm-hmm. I think, has, like, its own cult following. But to <clears> one, was The Yards big? you know that's a good question i i feel like i feel like it must have been because i think it was that era when like mark Wahlberg was in a bunch of stuff right and Mm -hmm. it was like the first mark Wahlberg and joaquin film i almost wonder if it became more reappraised once we own the night came out yeah you know yeah because... I, I think about the yards because it, it has you know these uh elder statesmen and james Caan, mm-hmm. faye dunaway mm-hmm. but then it has these rising stars in the early aughts Charlize, mark Wahlberg, mm-hmm. joaquin that mm-hmm. you kind of see them like on parallel on like different tracks and mm-hmm. you know james gray takes a story like he did with uh, uh little odessa where it's a genre element, but also incredibly personal. Looks like he did that again. Um, this was my first James Gray in theaters because mm-hmm. I'm like, um, there was someone else recently. Ira Sachs. I did this with Ira Sachs when uh, Passages came out that I'd never seen any other movies. And James Gray and Ira Sachs, kind of s- similar, honestly, like personalities, I'd say. Um, they uh, made a movie that I had never seen any of their movies from, and I binged their filmographies leading up to the new release. Mm-hmm. I love James Gray, phenomenal director. Um, famously not really in the conversation for Gen X filmmakers, mm-hmm. you would say. He's not in like the PTA, Wes Anderson, Sofia Coppola group mm-hmm. as much, mm-hmm. because his movies are just not as widely seen in America, and I kind and I and just going into real fast like big picture first reaction takeaways for myself like I saw this with a few friends uh, from high school, and I equate this theater experience to Last Jedi randomly 
where okay. it was like mildly packed for a movie that did not do well in the box office. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't in a very empty theater. And I remember looking around like, guys, that was pretty great, right? Like, did it, was anyone psyched? And it was like, same as Last Jedi, two years before Ad Astra. Like, no. Like, it was wow. just a bunch of like, like, like exasperated, confused faces. Like, not only with my friends, but the people around me was like, like, it was just people who like were on their phones and like, mm. I, I, but, um, yeah, so I remember someone took a phone call during the middle of the movie. I'm like, oh, this is... Oh, I would have beat um, the yeah. shit out of that person. Jesus. Someone... I took a phone call... I can't do confrontation. Yeah, someone took a phone call when uh, Adam and I were seeing Wind River. And it was like the last like <laughs> minute of Wind River, That's which great. is like the very emotional, like Jeremy Renner and like Gil Birmingham having this conversation. And yeah, yeah, this like man in front of us answers his phone and is like, "No, I'm still in the movie." And I think Adam yeah, told him yes, to like yes. shut the fuck up or something. Um, um, that's great. Yeah. Uh, the, the ultimate ir- the ultimate irony for my theater experiences since then was someone bringing a toddler into old because what the oh movie's about. That's um, so yeah. funny. Yeah. Is that funny? Um, well, are, um, you know what? As we're having this conversation, I am beginning to think. Maybe I too would escape Earth and go to the far reaches of space. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it does it does make. I mean, if Ruth Nega is there, I'm probably gonna be like, "Eh?" or Natasha Lyonne. I don't know. That seems like a pretty cool place to go. So funny that Natasha is in this for like 15 seconds. Like, how? Why? One of her multiple fall 2019 cameos, uh, Mm -hmm. which is which is always fun. Um, but which I should also I also wanted to mention because this episode is coming out relatively soon that uh, the Criterion Channel also is doing James Gray's New York mm-hmm. for anyone who has who is like maybe is listening to this and has only seen Ad Astra and wanted to see any of his other movies available now I had just caught up with Little Odessa which is fantastic mm-hmm. um, all of his movies are great we've previously covered The Immigrant. The Immigrant is fantastic. So um, fucking good. And what was I going to... And just real... I want to get to Roxana Haddadi, who's here with us, who is the perfect person to cover there this. There was with. no one um, else, by the way. That's very No nice. one else we would have had on for this movie. Thank you. No one guys. else. Thank you. Equating Brad Pitt's 2019 can be almost perfect... Like, it's weird how perfect it is to his 2011. Because mm-hmm. in 2011, you have Moneyball and Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in Ad Astra. And those are just kind of the side A, side B of his range. And um, another representative why he's, uh, you know, our generation's Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, you know, we've discussed him in smaller roles before we've discussed him in Twelve Years a Slave, The Counselor, The Big Short, but it's these it's these other parts where you're like going it's going to add up to his twenty nineteen. Yeah. It's almost like the twenty eleven and the twenty nineteen parts are like it's it's like bridging the gap from what he can really do because it's almost like he's exhausted himself of leading roles in those two years. You're saying that he needed the um, the like recharge time. 
yeah. to then yeah. <laughs> again play a man struggling with his internal emotional life. <laughs> <laughs> and like the definition I mean, of toxic maybe. masculinity. Yeah, that's totally <laughs> right. how, how to reckon, uh, you know, a uh, place mm-hmm. in the universe. And then mm-hmm. a movie star performance and then another movie star performance. Yeah. A hundred percent. What's so funny. I think we to... solved it. Thanks guys for listening. Yeah. Um, figured it out. Like you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I, w- I will slightly deviate from Brad to say that looking yes. at Gray's filmography made me realize like, is he the director that Joaquin has worked with the most? Yes, he is. I believe okay. so. That's so interesting. Which I think that for me at least, going through James Gray's filmography, it not only takes you through uh, a handful of great movies, a handful of overlooked great Joaquin performances. For me, I think mm. like the best Joaquin has ever been is Two Lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, like some of the most vulnerable, authentically vulnerable work that we've seen from him. Uh, and, 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 no, and nothing that feels like to force and, and you know uh, the yards and we on the night coming before two lovers you really feel the trust between him and james gray uh and it's also two lovers like, is my favorite james gray it's also movie. like when mark Wahlberg was an actor yes yes you know um, like Wahlberg I, I, is very well used by james it's gray. just it's so it fascinating to think about uh, i will reveal myself as someone who does not uh really like present or recent Joaquin but uh, the fact that both Joaquin and Mark Wahlberg are sort of in like their caricature era they're like very like sort of maximalist playing into images of themselves era like Joaquin in Napoleon Joaquin in Joker Mark Wahlberg in I don't even know every single I mean he's in he's in Garbage now. Like, he's not in good stuff. Right. No, he's He's not in in good stuff. But it's interesting to see that they, after all of this work with such a prestigious director who is using them in, like, really clever ways. I heard Instant Family, I think, I heard that was good. Was good. But. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The dog movie looks sus. Um, that's for yeah, fucking sure. Is that sure. the same person who said The Simpsons is good? Uh, no, I think people thought Instant Family was cute, but I didn't see it. Um, what did you think of Joaquin and You Were Never Rose Really Burn? Here? Yes, it's Rose Byrne. I really like that performance a lot, yeah. but I ultimately think it's like pretty restrained. Well, that's the thing. And I think... Yeah. His performance in, like, my two favorite Joaquin performances are him in The Immigrant and Mm -hmm. in um, You Were Never Really Here. Um, I also think You Were Never Really Here is a fucking masterpiece. What are you thinking about? I do what I do because of my dad. He was a hero. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. Getting that over. It's crazy out there. There's fires everywhere and plants.
plane crashes. They're calling it a search. Major, we have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. I worry about you. I love you. Please begin your psychological evaluation. As best you can, please describe your current mental and emotional state. I'm feeling good. Ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I remain fully committed to the lawful completion of the mission. If necessary, I will destroy the project in its entirety. The Earth puts hopes in him. And now, it's fate. It's on me. We have a job to do. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is James Gray's biggest movie, and he's working with a movie star and a movie star who helped produce it. Um, and we all, we're, you know, we're talking very like, you know, how his movies deal with restraint in his actors. There's no caricatures really, um, and it's interesting. Such a subtle and restrained filmmaker in a lot of ways is like okay. I'll do my space movie and I'll agree to work with Fox and I'll, you know, get, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to manage all this fucking money and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously he has mixed feelings on how all of that worked out, which makes perfect sense with, you know, post production and the release of the film and things like that. Um, but it is a choice that I'm not sure we'll ever get from him again. Um, I don't know who produced Armageddon Time, but, um... Focus. Focus, okay. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's a completely different movie. Um, I, I have not seen it. Um, but just in terms of scale and genre, of course, is, like, radically different. Um, but I don't know if we're gonna see something like this from him again, especially since it seems like he didn't have oh, the greatest time no. making it, no. and whether anyone would even give him this kind of money again. Um, that's a, both of those no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, b- both of both of those no, and again, like it's only been five years. But those five years have fucking changed so much about this industry and like who is getting money and who is not getting money and what are we rolling the mm-hmm. dice on? Like what's going to theaters? What's going to theaters? What's going yeah. straight to Armageddon streaming? Time bombed also. What about mm-hmm. Tom Cruise in a James Gray film? I just had that thought. I mean, he is working with In Your really... which surprises yeah. me in a good way. Um, because again, it could be me like too. 
you know, the return of Tom Cruise actor, which again, I love the Mission Impossible films, but Tom Cruise is playing Tom Cruise in those films. And, you know, it's like a whole other thing to see him in a, hopefully a role, which is not so uh, like stunt dependent. I don't know. We know nothing about Inuritu's film yet. I'm really just... And he's heavily um, rumored for Tar- the there. Tarantino film uh, with Brad. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Movie yeah. director. Movie I do want but... to back this up. Wait one second. Ha- mm-hmm. But uh, do we not think that Lost City of Z also had a certain sense of scale as well? But is the distinction here like the budget? Because it was what, like a third of Ad Astra's budget? Yes. I, I think it's also the expectations I was going with as well. Like... And also, Jack, I think you might have, you were about to say this at one point, but this movie really happens because of Brad Pitt, not James Gray. Of course. Yeah. Um, And so the only way this ever even kind of happens again is if a movie star hitches his ride on James Gray. That's the only, or like other way around, but like that's the only way it happens again. You can argue that Lost City of Zed only happens because it's Brad Pitt, almost. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, He dropped out and it was Charlie, and then Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Um, what a, and this what a was... mirroring of my sexual interest. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> right. And well, even even more interesting, I wonder what is, I mean, I'll have to go to Hun's photography, but it's like, what's the sliding doors moment if mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is in La City of Zed and what is Charlie Hunnam? I don't think much um, changes. Also, Ad Astra, like James Gray credits as even more of a disastrous uh, production than going to the Amazon and filming La City of Z. Right. Because I I do believe that he was not, I don't consider James Gray a perfectionist, although he is just such a brilliant and clever stylist into like lived in grounded worlds that feel so like vulnerable and tangible. And mm-hmm. that also applies to space as it does for Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he liked working. And in his, and you know, in an interview, in, in his in his way, he's talking about like I, I needed to work in like a uh, like a set. I needed to work in like a uh, a studio sp- and like a space to um, to work with actors again. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is not working with anybody, <laughs> right? If right. if you're if the one of the goals is directing is like having two characters like work out a conversation. Brad Pitt is not doing that in a lot of this. Um, Roy is someone who is having these deep and thoughtful monologues and like uh, recording these audio messages. Um, but yeah, like I don't. It does, from the sounds of it, I don't think it looks like he enjoyed the advances that te- that the technology gave him, as that presented even more issues. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of things where it's like. You know, you try to, like, film a shot of, of Roy in space, and, like, he's trying to, like, fix a, uh, a mistake on the ship or something. And it's, like, cut. And it just it seems like a very meticulous process that someone um, like James Gray tries to solve, but yet it just wasn't in his wheelhouse. Although it's, he made a great movie. It's just, like, a part of just the process of making something this, have, this effects-heavy can have on a filmmaker like himself. I do appreciate these two films as portraits of men with obsessions, which is like a favorite 
Roxana Haddadi genre. Um, but Same it is me. sort yes. of, you know, like it is sort of interesting that I think a lot of James Gray's films are character driven, but not necessarily in this way of I will literally travel to the ends of the earth and even transcend earth for my obsessive quest. So I, I think there has to be something in those two films uh, that is really about like filmmaking, right? And that is really about like operating as he does within this incredibly striated filmmaking system where you're not getting money and you're not really getting studio support. So I'm sure there is sort of a conversation to be had about like, what did he work through about himself? <laughs> through these films Mm -hmm. um and the only other thing that i would say is i think potentially the sliding doors of lost city is brad pitt dropped out benedict cumberbatch got cast and then cumberbatch dropped out and it was hunnam and i think hunnam was able to take it yeah and i think hunnam was able to take it because hunnam was originally cast in 50 shades of gray as gray and then dropped out i don't know if it was in pre-production or like a few months into filming but i remember that was one of those stories that was like he probably read that he finally read the script and was like oh no 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 i'm not doing this yeah (laughs) so i do wonder what was the gap in time there right um but certainly I i think like a career step up you know it's one of those things where it's like uh prestige of course this film and working with James Gray is more prestigious than having worked in the 50 shades universe. But I think 50 shades would have made him a level of more famous. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not like Jamie Dornan is doing anything. So it's like one of those things where Um, it's like play Jamie Dornan is in the tourist, which is a British television show, which, uh, (laughs) got picked up by max and then picked up by netflix and i think it's been number one on netflix for like two weeks i think we can see who is a tv critic didn't know that um yeah (laughs) but i I would also say like the comment that james gray makes even before um lossie of z is out is that uh the movie that is now known as Ad Astra, is in pre-production, or the idea of it is is being Right, created. that makes sense, 2017. And he says right. that he wants to make the most realistic of space travel that's ever been put in a movie. And I don't... And he even then goes on saying when he's promoting the movie, that's not possible, but it is possible, like, with his version of it. I think, like, yeah. you know, that's more like I think what he was trying to say if the quote's out of context but um, I find that interesting because you know obviously we can we, we've kind of hinted at it but there is this run in the 2010s of very interesting outdoor driven space movies mm-hmm. um, and not to, I don't know if there's anything to extrapolate of that but um, you know these filmmakers might get just might get to an age when they're thinking more above themselves and like their place in the universe and like uh, all these great questions about humanity. Space just looks fucking cool. Um, but it, I don't know. It, but I think, 
I personally believe that I think, I think I mentioned this before. I forget in what context, but, um, oh yeah. I, I, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but we recently um, did a podcast appearance on um, Philip uh, Iskew's um, Patreon exclusive double feature um, podcast, and we chose Crimson Tide and uh, Hunt for the Red October. And in that, I say this, you know, it's the, I love watching two movies that have the same setting um, or the same kind of framework of a film, but with two different directors. Um, I think it's a perfect little sociological experiment in the sense of what is McTiernan's submarine movie and what is Tony Scott's submarine movie? They're working within the same space. They're working with, you know, somewhat, you know, a similar structure and, uh, you know, act, you know, relationship dynamics and like plot. Um, what? How do they direct a movie that takes place in a submarine? To me, I love seeing what an auteur does with space, um, and I think it really, and I think it really simplifies and really tells you the auteur's skill set and their uh, focuses and their um, the things that they. Uh, their expertise or that they focus on or the things that interest them the most whether that be visually or um you know plot wise but or or, or thematic uh wise but i i so like what is alfonso Cuarón's space movie what is damien chazelle's space movie what is christopher nolan's space movie um and you kind of can compare all of them and kind of see everyone's approach to it. And I think, and I always find that so interesting. And I also love just the idea of any auteur making a space movie. I think it would be really fun if every single auteur was required to make one space movie. Um, because I think it, it's such a, there's so many different approaches you can have with it. You know, whether it's the hyper-realistic or the um, hyper-fantastical, uh, is it, uh, do you focus on um, a more, like, group dynamics, or do you focus more on the individual? Um, are you using a lot of close-ups? Are you using, uh, like, practical sets? Are you using, you know, it's like, it's things like, things like that. Like Danny Boyle, like, with Sunshine, and there's all these different approaches to what a space movie can be. And obviously, like, their plots can be completely different, like, you know, Ad Astra is completely different from First Man in a lot of ways, but also very similar. Um, I just, and so seeing what James Gray's space movie is, I think is it's just kind of important to me. Um, the same way as like seeing what is, you know, Stanley Kubrick and Ridley Scott's space movie. Um, I think, I think uh, it can really tell you a lot about a filmmaker with, this kind of limitless approach to, you know, there, there's not like a ton of restraints really. I mean, obviously when it comes to actually making the film, when it, but like, I mean, just the way they can use the template itself and how they don't, ha and they don't have to necessarily worry about being super realistic because no one really cares about that. Not really. The filmmakers do. Except but, for Chris Nolan. Right. But that's yeah, the thing. Chris it's Nolan like, and, cares a lot. <laughs> And I, but like, I mean like that they don't, they're not beholden to do something like that. They can choose to, but they are not beholden right. to that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And just to 
one quick thing before I finish is that I will never, ever, ever care when a filmmaker says, we tried to make the most hyper-realistic space problem. Well, I don't fucking care. You can say that to a fucking squirrel. I don't care. I mean, like, just say whatever. Like, I don't... I, I have no interest in hyper-realistic space travel. I don't fucking care. Make a good movie. I, I only I only bring that up because I... I it's interesting. It's interesting that he felt he felt the need to do pre that. Pre the movie even being in production. Right. And that could be a goal. It might not be the end result. And from the end result, um, it doesn't seem it. As someone as intelligent and as like psychologically in-depth with his characters and with the setting as Grey is, I believe this is insanely realistic. Whatever the hell that means, again, doesn't matter. But well, to the three of us and to Grey, I think this could be a version of realism. I, I mean, I think it probably is sort of realistic uh, to create a vision of space travel in which you don't just go from A to B immediately, right? Like, a lot of the arc of this movie is that um, Brad Pitt's character has to go to different planets, right? To sort of, like, refuel. It's not that Mm -hmm. different from, like, taking a plane ride with a bunch of layovers. (laughs) He has to go to the moon. He has to go to Mars. Like, there is sort of a, a system... That he, has he takes to a nap. Yeah. yeah, my man is like Google Mapsing to the That's end so of the universe, but I, I could see that. Survey. He's taking ways. Yes, he's making all of the wrong turns, but I, I could see that being the idea of realism here. It's not necessarily a uh, a Star Trek or a Star Wars like blip in and out of a wormhole, and you're suddenly somewhere a lot of the power of this film is you do feel the tedium you feel Mm -hmm. the commercialism and you feel the sense of time um i think just that little detail of like going to the moon now is completely normal and it's so normal that they'll charge you 125 dollars for a pillow i think those are sort of the realistic details that he might be interested in here Mm -hmm. to undercut the idea of space as this unknowable thing it is unknowable but it's also human nature for us to put uh regimes and routines on things to fool ourselves into believing that we understand them and we don't understand them but we're doing our best to create that illusion um, and so I see a lot of that maybe in the idea of like hyper-realistic space travel um, is less about like the science of it um, and more about how we as human beings have normalized it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And also the things it's like the logistics of it in a lot of ways and like you know what would our society really do with space and what would we require in space travel um and this gets to like i you know i I feel like most people would agree like maybe the most mm, okay but one of the more uh interesting aspects of the film is this complete um focus on 
the emotion of the astronauts and how level-headed they are and mm-hmm. the you know these these uh scenes of um you know uh, of the tests of um everything uh going on um or like you know their ment- their ment- their uh introspective mentality and whether they're calm enough, whether they have the good uh, the baseline, the, like where right. are they? Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, it reminds you of um, in like Blade Runner twenty forty nine that same idea with the replicants mm-hmm. and if, whether they're going crazy or not. But this like requirement of well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, what? hold on, hold on. You're gonna talk about the cells interlinking cells from Blade Runner 2049, but you're not going to talk about the original Blade Runner test? I forgot. Well, isn't that one more of just, like, you're picturing something? Like, it, it's, it's more of, like... Test. It's, right. it's testing your reactions to things to right. see if you would have, like, an actual human reaction. Or right. Does that show have... our age? That we, yes! that we think well, it's not... Little babies! <laughs> I just... It's not that. I just... I think I don't know for some reason in my head I think the 2049 one is more closer to the um uh because I think like those tests in like the original Blade Runner is more of like is this a replicant or not I feel like mm-hmm. and in this in 2049 it's more of like are you stable um I think that's true I think that all of them though share this quality of attempting to measure what humanity is right because you're right they're testing whether k is stable but i think implicit within that is are you acting like a human being because that is what we think stability is we don't want you like going buck wild and reverting back to replicant impulsiveness spontaneity all of that sort of thing um But yes, I agree with you that, like, the core question here is, uh, again, I think sort of a version of normalizing space travel, which is, like, normalizing what the human experience is supposed to be. And so much of this movie is Roy, like, kicking at that and thinking that he is above it. And thinking that like humanity should not be flattened in this way and then eventually realizing at the end that like there are a lot of contours and textures to what he thought was flatness that he has been you know denying himself for decades I'm sure uh, this is the 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 major or one of the only times that we see uh, Roy articulate these feelings. Uh, A a very close depiction is uh, 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 Damien Chazelle's portrayal of uh, Neil Armstrong as someone who just sees the the life of an astronaut as as nothing but work. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a great accomplishment, but uh, the emotional taxation is... Is nothing to articulate. It's it's just there uh, in its own cage. Well, and to Roy, the human the human condition is one the loss of innocence, mm-hmm. um, but then two he um, goes to great. Le- you know, Roxanne brought this up 
Um, but if there's a movie to conflate this to, it's Contact, one of the greats. Um, one of the best space movies ever. Um, mm-hmm. And that's an example of someone need, obviously like needing to go to the unknown to find something that's like lost within their emotional intelligence where like how do I articulate these feelings I need to like try to solve something and um I think I did forget in this rewatch like how much there was like a conversation of like a conflict of interest like Roy being the one to go find Clifford right uh you know the Sutherland character brings it up I think that there's a conversation after that um and that part of the movie is really interesting. And then, like you know, when when um, Sutherland has the uh, the comment to Roy, he's like, "Yeah, it's like disgraceful." They just kind of like tossed him off, but you know, he kind of sees him as like someone who left Roy, but did so in in an act of nobility because his dad's a hero. And mm-hmm. yeah, that conflict is is also great. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the thing... But, but, but uh, I forgot, I remember the comment I was about okay. to bring up. Yes, but I Jack went on the tangent. Hundley. Sorry. Um, the thing about, uh, and it's actually related to the replicant thing, that, mm-hmm. like, I do remember some criticisms at the time, like, mm-hmm. that Roy's a psychopath, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. his, his feelings are just so buried underneath anything to be um, deeply felt mm-hmm. that it's like, do you have any feelings? Mm-hmm. Which is just a very, it's a very intense reading of the movie. Yeah. Is Roy, is Roy a replicant, right? Is he someone that you could send to find Clifford to go retrieve someone else's dad, right? I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a sick reading, but um, I well, guess that you could, you could expand on that, right? Um, I don't I, actually mean it, but I'm just, I'm just That's going to be your headline, Jack. Jack says Roy <laughs> replicant <laughs> question mark. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, like I, if someone else were editing this, like it would splice me together. Like yeah. I think that I I want to uh, uh, rewind us a little bit to uh, Clay's listing of these space films and what they're all exploring. And again, I would add. Uh, Denise High Life in there as well because I think that that film and sort of what it's saying about uh, reproduction and uh, the idea of making like a new utopia in space under extremely uh, unethical conditions (laughs) is really interesting but um, the reason that I bring that up and why I think it links together with Sunshine and Interstellar and Contact and First Man and all that stuff. And obviously this is an incredibly simplistic reading, Um, but all of these films, right, I think are about like the inherent loneliness of the human condition and our desperate desire to find meaning in our lives. And so I, as someone, you know, speaking, taking this all the way back to speak about why this movie works for me is, you know, as someone who has spent like a good amount of my life, probably like low key depressed and unsure 
of what uh, humanity is for when there is so much shit that is fucked up in our world. Um, There is just something very cathartic and beautiful about watching uh, the idea of a inhospitable other place which would kill you in like an instant also being the place where you realize that there are things larger than you that are worth living for um and so much of that is like first man and so much of that is ad astra and so much of that is interstellar right like all of these films are sort of dealing with the guilt of the parent child connection um and what we do to each other and sort of how we fail each other and if there's any way to fix those relationships i mean daddy issue movies are very much also just something that i gravitate to by virtue of my own life um but i think that to jack's point to say that Ad Astra is only a daddy issues movie does sort of miss out, I think, on a little bit of the like American nationalism critique that is happening in terms of the fact that we learn that like they were gonna fuck over Roy anyway, right? Like they were sending him, you know, on a mission that they had sort of already planned that you know there was going to be like death involved and didn't really tell him so i think that's like a really interesting sort of angle of this film that maybe doesn't get discussed as often as it should and you know we talked about like ruth nega and how much impact she has in very little screen time but i think again she is another sort of orphan character lost in space who has to make her own path and her own community and her own meaning of life again uh somewhere where arguably there shouldn't be humanity at all so i I think so much of this film is just doing like really interesting things in terms of like what are we as human beings meant to do um And at a certain point, what is the cost of discovery on, like, the individual human spirit? Um, And I feel like that is what stuck out to me most on this rewatch. Like, of course, how exceptional Brad is, um, how good he is at this sort of toxicity, fragility vulnerability anger like this stew of emotions um but also just the fact that the film is sort of challenging us to yes accept its sort of happy ending which is roy comes back he meets the baseline he's not a replicant like we're good (laughs) um but also like what is sort of the burden of being alive uh, and what is sort of the burden of being alive in a place where you know that maybe 
your individual life is less important than your function within the machine. Because, like, Roy serves his function, and that's what allows him to come home and, Mm -hmm. you know, find himself. But, like, Ruth Nega's character on Mars, like, does her function fulfill her? Like, the space pirates on the moon. Like, they're just, they're all these little, like, ecosystems and communities in this film that I am left thinking about and wondering what their idea of fulfillment would be. And I feel like that, upon this most recent watch, like that was sort of the legacy of the film for me, was thinking about all the people that we only see briefly and trying to understand, like, what does space mean to them? (laughs) What emotions are they projecting into space? um, Kimberly on Facebook asks, Brad... What was one intriguing or interesting thing you learned about science or space exploration during the making of this film? Oh, you have me confused with an actor who does a lot of um, uh, pre-work. I'm kind of the other guy. An actor doesn't prepare. (laughs) Yes, yes, who likes it to happen on the day, to be spontaneous, to be fresh. no, I can't, I'm, I'm the sorry. The bullet thing was, going around the know, moon, maybe? It was real, well, I just learned that. I didn't know that. I certainly <laughs> didn't know that. Of course, if I had done some... Why would you have research, to know that? Um, <laughs> no, I leave that to, to these guys. Yeah. Um, I didn't... It, you, know, you know, if anything, it just made me more conscious of... of I, can't, I, I can't look at space the same way. Um, you know, when you're a child, you look up and you, you draw the, the shape that's lit, and it's usually a crescent. And as, as now, I, I certainly see the orb that is sitting out in this, this, this inhospitable abyss. And beyond that is another, and beyond that are other solar systems, and, and, and endless, endless um, stars. And it's just unfathomable, and powers there that can bend time and crush. I mean, it's just beyond our understanding. So it, it, the mystery of it all is, is, is quite, um, is indelible. And I, uh, it makes me believe in something bigger than, than us mm-hmm. um, without being able to define it. I'm okay that we don't know, but it certainly points me to that kind of belief. And that is probably the most profound mm-hmm. effect I had. Mm-hmm. Um, It's like, I get a lot of, or the big idea besides the father stuff and, you know, the meaning of life stuff is, or the pursuit of, you know, of uh, the pursuit of um, the uh, the pursuit of, what's the fucking word? Never mind. Um, What do our institutions expect of us Mm -hmm. the inhumanity that lies within our institutions and how it lacks all fundamental understanding of what it is to be human of what emotions are of what individuals are it is all just pieces in a machine like you mentioned earlier 
this complete almost cruelty in bureaucracy and in governments and in companies and organizations, this pure focus of effectiveness of, of, you know, completing the objective, this, how it robs us of our agency and our, and our, uh, fucking ability to be human without being ostracized or punished to have emotions, to have difficulties, to have conflict. It's this completely sanitized version of it, it, it's it's like you are you're putting someone on this journey into this odyssey of conflict and uh, obstructions and you are expecting that person to come away with a baseline of emotion. And how ridiculous and almost unfathomably stupid that is and how that expectation has always been a part of our experience do not cry do not take a week off or a month off after something horrible happens to you work provide do what you can. Support your country. Support the company that employs you. Support your community. Rather than ever trying to stop and expect or to try to ask, what is this person going through? What are the emotions they're experiencing? And almost how they can, how the these organizations and companies and governments can benefit from that emotion. Not seeing it as something to uh, understand or to contemplate that's something to abuse like they did with Roy and his obsession and his pursuit of his father. It was not, they used that to, for their own gain and how that is almost fundamentally a part of every single institution and bureaucracy that runs our lives and how that is just this complete cruel and dismissive of our individuality it can our governments our organizations our companies cannot even comprehend individuality it is all cogs in a machine it is all the masses rather than our individual selves and how that has also affected the people that aren't in those pow positions of power and how it has affected our way of thinking about others and how we treat individuals and how it has just completely made everything in our society toxic our media our the ways the way we interact with each other the you know the way we interact on the internet and how it, we've completely lost track of humanity or maybe we even we're maybe we've never even been on that track um and it's just i don't know like yeah this movie is just so impactful for me because yes i have had issues with my father yes i have questioned whether he ever actually loved me or loved my mother and things like that and those lines in there that tommy lee jones says that stick with me and have always stuck with me ever since i saw it but it also is just this complete destruction you know deconstruction of what our society expects of us of what it expects of men of what it of this complete notion of pure rationality and this complete idea that you know and it also for plenty of people but this elimination of emotion and what it means to be human and only to be efficient and help progress in the name of someone else's benefit it's just it, it sticks with me and it 
fuels me and it makes me think even harder and it also it has all these big ideas without losing with losing Roy without losing what he feels and what he thinks and the journey he's on and the conflict he's experiencing and just how it's tearing him apart how he can't even he can't even think clearly and how he's gone against the government that he was serving and the people he was serving he even going to the extremes and going to lengths that would be almost incomprehensibly horrible with the tragic the tragedy that happens with that other crew and how he has been forced by this repressive re repressive way of treating or you know this repressive society and has made him into this violent vol volatile uh per volatile uh human who is looking only for himself in that in those moments and is and is almost you know it, it, uh, almost like completely fueled by his selfish need of answers and of purpose even though it is completely just it, it is still it's not justified but it's relatable of why he would be selfish in those moments because that's all he can think of that is all that can fuel him that is his entire goal and to stop and to stop him from doing that is just it will it would drive a person fucking crazy and the idea that we expect these people to not be driven crazy by things so inhumane and fucking cruel is what has completely infected everything that we are around Whew. can Dude, i perform that, so that? i'm gonna audition yeah like, next audition. Was... I get, i'll take Ooh. that monologue yeah I'll take i think we need to over. take it yeah. but i think that I'm gonna start the micro. I'm gonna start recording myself now. Actually, good. Thank you, Jack. Um, I was just gonna say, I feel like embedded within that, I think, is a really incisive understanding of what makes Roy and, in turn, Clifford so compelling, because I think we see through Roy, as you guys said about like the Army Navy game, like coming up through the military sort of mm -hmm. being trained to listen to orders like he doesn't really have any choice in this film until i think he breaks from what is expected and sends his own personal message to his father right which probably is pitt's best acted moment in the movie I think we've talked a lot about how so much of the dialogue here is just his narration and sort of like monologuing and his self-reflection and in this scene where he is not just doing the bland uh, you know like Clifford we're here to bring you back to earth or whatever um, <laughs> when he actually dips into the memory and the identity that has been hidden for so long and Pitt is sort of projecting um, a different like atmosphere through his performance. It's just in that moment, I sort of understood what he was looking for, not just looking for the physical presence of his father, but looking for some understanding of who Roy himself is 
in the absence and in the shadow of this man. And then when you meet Clifford and you see him as sort of like the extreme example of following orders because Clifford, yeah, I mean, like he essentially, of course, is operating outside of, I mean, like, look, he, he, like, kills his crew, right? Like, Clifford does some, like, very bad shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see Clifford as, like, the ur text of Roy in that he is following his mission. He is being, yeah. he is doing what he was ordered to do. He does not yeah. have that sort of moment of self-reflection and self-actualization he is the sociopath who did not want the family he just wanted discovery he just wanted something larger and that's sort of the warning of the film to me um that when you give yourself over to that obsession like what do you become capable of it's so funny like talking in the film talking about the film in these terms like of course at a certain level this is very simplistic uh like your dad left and therefore you're fucked up uh narrative but it's just written i think with such nuance and such emotional depth that it never feels that reductive it feels like there's so much more to that relationship and so much more to how it is shaped by the idea of service and the idea of sacrifice and the idea of discovery that it just becomes something really beautifully tense and beautifully sort of weighted um what i want to know i say all this because we talked a little bit about tree of life and about like the brad pitt toxic masculinity of it all jack i think you brought that up i want to know like if you see clifford as basically like terrence malick's worst dad or how you sort of like (laughs) understand these characters like in conversation with each other certainly the core difference is like uh roy doesn't have kids and in so much of Tree of Life is um, uh, what that, you do to your children. Care, what you do to your children, and of course, like I know one of the criticisms that that can that Tree of Life faces is like, are these characters characters, or are they more allegories for different sure. different ways of life? Like, you know, the Bread Pit is about faith. Jessica Chastain is about grace, and all mm-hmm. this sorts of stuff. Well, this. Uh, here is a lot more literal, although there are, yeah, like, uh, but yeah, there is certainly connections to be made, and why I think the, the those two performances are top shelf. Brad Pitt is why he's able to tap into that so well. Not only an understanding about himself in those two performances, and understanding his kids, and then his dad in those two performances, but understanding himself, like he's mm-hmm. so good at just like observing others it's why yes. um it's an underrated it's an underrated part of him as a performer um but you he's know he's a great it's, watcher it's, i mean go back and watch the great... oceans films and he's just watching like he <laughs> yes. is very good at like active observation or fight club like i rewatched fight club 
and yeah. it is really, uh, you know, seven even. Yes, seven. All I was gonna say yeah. about Fight Club is like when he's in the basement, right? Like we very rarely see Tyler fight. We see Tyler watching other fights and compelling people to fight. So I, I think he is, again, like one of our last. I hate saying we don't have movie stars now, although I really do believe that we don't really have movie stars now. Um, but I think that he is the last of that sort of breed, along with George Clooney, of course, where they're very good in a scene at sort of taking up space without saying a lot. And mm-hmm. that's like so much yeah. of the Ad Astor performance is like, I think yeah. when you're watching this film, your eyes go to him at every moment, even when he isn't really doing a lot. The great scene where he is on the spaceship and uh, he's like in the co-pilot position and they need to switch over to manual and the other pilot doesn't know how to do it. So eventually like, you know, he acquiesces to Roy and Roy very calmly and easily like lands the ship on Mars. Yeah. But in that And even when he's scene, delivering those instructions, it's not like he raises his voice or, no. or gets, you know, physical. It's just it's just it's it's how he's approaching the entire uh, mm-hmm. mission, the entire movie. It's just like these are this is the instruction manual, mm-hmm. this is the steps A, B, and C and D. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I mean it's it's laid out fantastic when he's briefed on the mission it's like you're gonna go try to send a message to your dad you're the one who's gonna send it right okay great and it's 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 a little bit ironic to think like you can't imagine how long he's been waiting to hear that and it's like they could have some sort of a contact about clifford he's just like great yeah you want me to clean the bathrooms that's kind of that's the same response (laughs) you want want me to set the table um it's fantastic because like he doesn't know that probably he's as disposable as Clifford was. Like, yeah. I'm sure Clifford and Roy are the same kind of like, oh, my God. They had their paintings in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, other other uh, uh, astronaut recruits look up to um, mm-hmm. Clifford Clifford's and Roy. Clifford's a hero. Clifford just Clifford's you know, a hero, Roy, right. Roy right. Clifford's it's the heroism thing. Mm-hmm. And then they're disposable. Mm-hmm. We've seen this story before. I think what now on rewatch, now thinking about this more, what lends a level of tragedy, uh, this is a Hearts of Darkness story, right? Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. We see someone going to, uh, we see um, someone going to find their uh, Colonel Kurtz. It's uh, an odyssey, man. Such it's and like such. fucking Homer's and odyssey. I mean, like. It just less... so happens to be his dad, right? It's, right. It's like, yeah. Um, like the thing, like with the monkey to me is just like pure, like. Right. Homer stopping on an island and being like, whoa, what the fuck's happening here? Um, Which I, I know, mean, also, I guess maybe we should bring up that and the moon chase got dinged at the time of release because Fox really? took... It did, Fox took... The moon the chase for sure James did. Brown. I heard plenty of people criticize, yeah. criticize and the mo- And the monkey, yeah. Um, if, if there's two things that got criticized, I think it was those. If there's a third, it's the voiceover, which I really mm-hmm. like. Wait, I, I need to back this up. Criticized because people thought like the effects weren't good. Out of place. Criticized because they thought the scene didn't place. make sense. Yeah, 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 and that it just didn't. It just it felt random, essentially. 
Um, but, you know, that's why I I feel as though, like, movies should be... Yeah, like, we've, we've faced this a, about a thousand times with a thousand movies we consider to be great, where it's, like... Initial viewings are almost all, always. I, just, I like, cannot wrong. Um, like right. the moon chase. So, okay, whatever. I you know I I'm just gonna get. I'm gonna have my own clay style monologue about the moon chase. <laughs> in that. Well, it's it is so I, I good. what I think about those parts is like the, there is what we think about like the Ruth Nega character and when mm-hmm. we meet her, mm-hmm. it's like there is minutia and there is, um, like rules about this version of the future Mm -hmm. but because james gray is so excellent at world building and like a portrait of a time and a place we don't need it like it's just hinted at and the movie feels it does feel like there is scale Mm -hmm. but it's not like um it's not like there's missing anything I'll say, I guess if that makes like it's it's like it just fits so well where it's like what what is written, what is shown is just the right amount for me, even though he does he doesn't have a creative control in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's still like a great cut of the movie. I think the thing about like the space chase and why I feel like it's so important though is that it again links back to the idea of which Clay broke down so beautifully which is that we are living in a time where discovery has been commodified. And because of that commodification, everywhere we go is just a miniature version of Earth. It doesn't matter what these planets are anymore, right? Like the specialness of the moon is gone. It's just become another place that people are fighting over resources. It's actually, I think, like a very smart commentary on the rich who want us to colonize Mars so we make a beautiful utopia where everyone can coexist and live. That shit's not going to happen as long as humanity exists. What we know how to do is fight and create war and steal and have conflict. And those are like the core tensions of the movie, right? Which is like, what do we do within groups to each other? Like what is the inevitable tribalism we fall into anywhere we go on one hand? And what can you as an individual do to create relationships that are meaningful and worthwhile amid so much fucking chaos so like it is just i can't oh man like you need can i can i add can i add that this is beginning to sound like the vince mcmahon meme like ad astra is about dad issues ad astra is about like colonization alan strad about like rich people going to mars and it's just like Mm -hmm. getting heavier although i mean vince mcmahon bad bad we need a new version of that meme right (laughs) Yeah. Or, or the um, the expanding mind, right? Yeah. Like you know, the yeah. That's I think that's yeah. the better one. I should have, um, should have said that. I mean, Roxana, that's why. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but that's why we love for all mankind is that idea yeah. of. Mm-hmm. I mean, this latest season, even particular, it's like yeah, if humans, you know, if this is commodified and you have a workforce on Mars, they're going to be exploited because that's how that shit works. Um, mm-hmm. And you're well, gonna, you know, false promises of did you know, yeah. was make its heroes its villains in a exactly. really 
interesting way. I do think that, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything for people who will watch this season. I think that some of the character turns were rushed, but I agree with you that like the overall observation of what happens when <laughs> there are resources that are worth billions of dollars. What happens to the average person and their work within that context? Um, and I mean, like the whole like idea of the show is based on in the sense of, you know, we lost the we lost the space race. And so the only reason we made so many great advances was because of, na you know, national interest and not right. necessary and not because of the love of science, but because of. Mm -hmm propaganda and you know the war the war of public view and things like that and you know what country is superior i mean that's like mm -hmm. it's you know, like you know that's the whole idea um mm -hmm. and how that's what drives innovation i mean like mm -hmm. you look at how many wars there have been and what have come from those wars besides just the weapons and things like that it's affected everything it's come on like you know the innovation that comes from those conflicts or times of like horrible strife is what like has led us here um i mean yeah like the basics of like the i've like first uh like computer was you know world war Two and like things like that and like um but yeah i mean i i think yeah that idea and that's why i agree with like the moon races uh or the moon chase should is important um um and the thing i i do i am i've always tried to figure out how i have felt about the scene with the monkeys mm -hmm. uh or the monkey the mm -hmm. and multiple monkeys is in the sequel to astra right that's coming That's and coming. one and it's one of those scenes in a movie that i love that i kind of don't know what to do with but i still like the scene but i'm left with hmm i'm not sure you not see it as another example of like the effects of human hubris that is for sure what it is it's just for me it's like it just goes on a long time. And I think it's actually good because it builds up tension oh, and it's very it's effective. it's so short. I think it needs to be long. That's funny. Um, I, agree I, mean, with, I agree with Rox. Yeah, that's... Uh... Again, I did not rewatch re it, but that was just via memory. Because um, I know I know this movie pretty well, but maybe I, I need to rewatch it. If you tried scene. to rewatch it, I would have stopped you. Um, it feels like something that was longer, but then, like, was then trimmed. Yeah. Look, to be honest, I am saying I want it to be longer uh, to shitstir a little bit. Um, but in reality, <laughs> I think that it is a very good, like the Space Chase, like mini set piece to show us a few things. To show us again, like Roy, hero, American god, Roy, just able to do anything in any situation. This man can fight a baboon. He can take on space pirates. Like he can do. He's also supposed whatever. to move on from these things. He sees a man getting shot yeah. in the head via a laser, pushes him out, and just has to continue the mission. He sees a baboon mm -hmm. 
fucking rip this man's face apart until death that he just Mm -hmm. met and has Mm -hmm. to continue the mission and maintain baseline he has to yeah. He has to dis. So okay, I, okay, I get the point of the scene now. Um, he has to disregard <laughs> human life because that is what he's been trained to do. He has to maybe he has yes he wants to save people, but he also has to just move past the tragic death and maybe the needless death of these people, um, and how it's just another stepping stone into his mission. It is another piece of his odyssey. Um, it, 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 his heart of darkness. It's just, it's just another. It's just one more chapter in the book. Um, but it's you know. how much can you absorb, right? right? Like how right. much can right. you absorb for your country? You know, we trust you. Like we want you to do really great. So just continue doing all these things that are actually nightmares for you. Um, mm-hmm. But like, thank you so much for your service. Right. It is, I think, <laughs> very sharply critical of that idea of submission, uh, submission to an abstract ideal that you are supposed to live up to and actualize anywhere in fucking space, like in a floating medical laboratory in space, you are still supposed to keep your shit together. Um, so yeah, I, I do, I, you know, Clay, I will retract some of the shit I gave you earlier because I do think that is what Kay is expected to do in 2049, right? It is that go into this room, close the door and recite some Nobokov. Just after you you murdered, uh, basically innocent replicant. After you just took the life of a man trying to experience humanity on his own. After you robbed someone of a chance to be fully free and kill your own mm-hmm. people. Yeah, no, it's it's mm-hmm. like you're just... That's it. That's the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, the job is also... Uh, I think it's so... We can talk about this more or we don't necessarily have to. But I just will say... Uh, Clifford saying let me go Roy and all of the levels of that are just so good (laughs) I just was watching it and I was like this is so beautifully uh, created for us as they are like floating careening through space just from a I wish I could like live in this sort of world right it works so beautifully and then, of course, just, like, the double layer of the dialogue is just really, I mean, it's so good that it just makes me, like, incapable of saying smart things about it. It's just really good. Yeah. It's it's interesting how this is so much about a movie of feeling your feelings. Yeah. Uh, and Roy never becomes more of an expressive performance. Like, he never quite... I mean, that's that's the movie that James Gray is so good at making is just, like, sticking uh, a narrative flag in one particular character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar performance choice that Joaquin does in Two Lovers that's so good, where it's, like, internally uh, he's breaking out of his shell, but externally it's just the same person. Um, 
and because we we all can't we all can't break out of our shell when it comes to Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, that's just that's, that's tricky. I think the closest is uh, when Roy first sees Clifford, right? I think mm-hmm. he's not crying, but I think it's the most open we've seen Brad Pitt's face. Like it loses that sort of like professional veneer that he has for a lot of that movie that's sort of like yes sir let me do my job and I think Mm -hmm. that his eyes are like shining a little bit with tears and his face just looks like it has collapsed into itself a little bit at the gravity of the moment so yeah Mm -hmm. like he never you know there's never like a big like weeping moment there's never like a huge emotional cathartic release uh even killing his father or letting his father kill himself or however you want to read that my man still has to figure out how to get back to the space ship right Right. he still has to shift back into uh you know like american warrior mode (laughs) yeah yes yeah, when he gets back there, he's just like, I feel, I feel fine. I feel, yeah. I feel, I feel well. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a moment where it's like not, it's cathartic, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it just, it plays it so sophisticated because you don't get this, whatever. It's like, it's dumb for us to imagine worse versions of this movie because that's, you know, but um, this is the best version of what that scene could have looked like mm-hmm. uh, for me, and it's mm-hmm. the most poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, Cliff clearly has done a lot of pondering about uh, the way that he was treated right. and uh, the you know his his role as as an American symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and um and I guess like it reminds me of, you know, wasn't it like Casey Affleck in uh, Interstellar? That was concerning that I started it like that. Um, in Interstellar, like he took a position that was similar to McConaughey. Like, Dad, you'll like what I chose up as a profession. Like, I, he became I a farmer if, like, in Interstellar. Saw that. He just became a right. farmer. Right, 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 right. That's right. Yeah, like, um. Like, I wonder if Cliff sees Roy as an astronaut, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, didn't you see what happened to me? Like, he saw it as, like, are you dumb? Or something, like... I've... You went all this way. I, I find... It's obviously a little bit more profound than that, but it's, like... Um, I feel like he's completely that, unsurprised. But, yes. Right? Yes, it's also that, where it's, like, not even that, like... Uh, it doesn't bring Cliff any more closure than it brings Roy. No. Um, not no. that he needed it it's, or not that he was looking for it. But the tone of that, though, is so interesting because it feels right. like Cliff has right. just been waiting. Like Cliff has just been anticipating this moment, although it's not a moment he gives a shit about. It's just a moment yes. for him to be like, yeah, I didn't really care about you. Yeah. I've Because it's like... I remember, sorry, I, I guess I was just thinking also, like, James Craig credits, <laughs> it's like, the way he talks about the production of this movie is almost in a meta way, because he's like, I know what Chris Nolan went through. I know what Alfonso Cuaron went through. 
and I know what Damien Chazelle went through because it's a year after First Man, right. of course, that's fresh in everybody's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, you know, this is very obvious, but it really is like a James Gray movie within the bones of a space opera. And that scene is cannot be more evident of that to me. Mm-hmm. Like any tour is themselves in the skeleton of a, you know, space adventure. But this, I think, is my it might be like the best example of that. I have been thinking of this scene, and Rory finally seeing his father again. I've been thinking of this scene for the last five years of my life. Like, there's no shot of the doors sliding open and he's right there or him in a chair or something. You see him through a grate. There's no fanfare. He's just in a random place on there's the... There's no dad! Yeah, there is a random place mm-hmm. on the ship and he's talking through it. And there's a lot in that scene that makes is just kind of makes the whole movie for me even though it was already great um but it's the definition of the closure you don't want it's closure and you can move on with your life but it's not something you really wanted it's not the answers you wanted it's not remotely but it's the thing that you already knew you knew for a fact he didn't love you, but you just didn't, you couldn't accept it until the person said it plainly and told you face to face. You already had that thought. You knew it for, you, you already were completely confirmed in that thought but you still needed to hear it the lines of i never loved you or your mother and his response i know dad is the thing is a line in movies that will haunt me for the rest of my life it will stick with me and touch me in a way that I will never forget it really says some amazing things about their performances in that scene the way Tommy Lee Jones delivers that in such an undramatic way. Almost like an aside. I never loved you or your mother. And Pitt's almost immediate reaction. I know, Dad. And his use of Dad at the end of that sentence is what fucking breaks me. Even through all of this shit, even through all the murder and senseless cruelty, even though he knows for a fact his father never really loved him or cared about him or his mother, even after all of that, he still says the fucking word dad when everything you've experienced 
should tell you not to say give him that give him even that give him even the fucking idea that he was a father to you because he wasn't but you still say that fucking word a word that has so much meaning and baggage and life in it that i think people take for granted being to being comfortable and even saying that word to your father is a thing i i i think people take for granted yes he's sad and it breaks his heart but he's already accepted it he might have even accepted before he stu he took those steps on that ship yeah he's known it he's known it for years it just was another it was just the nail in the coffin and that scene will always stick with me <clears throat> yeah he was he was pre-broken uh or already that uh didn't really have the uh expectations he was there to yeah i mean like we've already emphasized he was there to send a message there to mm -hmm. do a mission uh just so and that was number one and then number eight seven was like dad remember me <laughs> right i'm sure it's just like low on his emotional bucket list mm -hmm. um i know mm -hmm. that there is i mean of course there is a great sense of profundity with that scene um I, like james gray movies just have a sense of um I, I don't know, like a kind of a, it, it's a weird word to use, but like a loser quality. Um, because okay. if you look at, I think the, like, this isn't really a great word to use, but it's like the Joaquin characters in um, We Are the Night and like Two Lovers and then the Wahlberg character in The Yards, they all, they're just kind of like scrappy, like people who just like, are a little lonely and just like don't really know how to fit in. And of course, like dad issues are not the first time he arrives at this theme in Ad Astra. But I only say loser quality because it's just like um, they get to a point and they can't really achieve the things that you think they could achieve or they think themselves they could achieve, right? Is that makes mm -hmm. And then like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you go to see like their um, emotional fulfillment. It's just like. You know, it was just a more about like the experience of this film than it was really about um, this emotional resolution. Um, mm -hmm. But I did also, before we get to favorite scene, mm -hmm. what, I, I just want to do like a quick TLJ corner because this is the fourth performance <laughs> we've covered from Tommy Lee. And mm -hmm. he's of course arrived at this elder statesman um, role in the 2010s. Mm -hmm. Shocking to know he's not a, you know, a spring chicken. But uh, you know, we've done this, Jason Bourne, okay. Lincoln, okay. and Cap First Avenger, and I feel like those performances are all clearly supporting, lending a level of gravitas to each role. Um, all very g great in them. I think he was mm -hmm. like pretty close to like. A supporting actor Oscar in Lincoln, even. Um, mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, and we like TLJ here. I feel like he even kind of looks like Brad Pitt, like they nailed the resemblance. Yeah, like I do think there is a, and even if there isn't a physical resemblance, there is a similar, like, cragginess. Like you completely right. understand how. It's the, it's the, it's the delivery of, um, I never loved you and your mom. It's like, that's perfect for what TLJ is for. Yeah. It's that, it's that sort of like Harrison Ford quality of like, I'll there's, just do what I can with this. Yeah. Role, right. There's sort, of like, like a, yeah. there's sort of like a casual brusqueness, which like Ford also <laughs> it's had. It's a great and, way to describe it. And which I also think, uh, I think once you see them together, it becomes very clear that Roy probably crafted so much of himself through whatever was left of Clifford. Like, whatever video clips were left, or, like, whatever images of him were left, or whatever narratives he heard uh, coming up through space service. Like, you really get a sense that this is, like, a distorted sort of mirror image that the two men sort of regard each other with. Um, mm-hmm. And so, of course, like, as much as the ending of this film is Roy doing the baseline test uh, and being, like, a more calm, like, collected, at-peace version of himself, he's also a version of himself, I think, that is then divorced from needing to mimic Cliff or like recreate Cliff. Like there is, you know, like Clay called it like putting a nail in the coffin. Like there is a death there. Um, but of course also there is like an element of rebirth that the movie needs. Like it's honestly maybe James Gray's happiest i say with finger quotes ending maybe it's definitely not lost city of zoo um (laughs) i'm trying to go through the rolodex of his uh, i i I find it funny that i said that i have had i basically had that scene memorized and i completely got the line wrong um uh the line is you know this is home this is a one-way voyage my son you're talking about earth there was never anything for me there i never cared about you or your mother or any of your small ideas for 30 years, I've been breathing this air, eating this food, enduring these hardships. I never once thought about home. I know, Dad. Mm. But yeah. I, mm-hmm. It's funny that I completely hurt, like, memorized. You know, it was a little bit of a Mandela effect where I was just for, so for sure he said, I never <clears> loved <throat> you or your mother. Um, uh, to say that I never thought of you is so much worse. Like, from an audience perspective, we, as normal, everyday, average people, are conditioned to think of love as, like, the height of emotionality, right? Like, of course you would think that, Clay. Of course that's what we would remember the line as. Like, I never loved you. Um, But I think for it to be, I never thought of you is so much more cutting it's the madman moment right it's don draper <laughs> telling ginsburg i never think about you at all there is a yeah. there is a level of intimacy there i think to tell someone you don't even cross my mind that is more pointed than love i don't think cliff 
even considers himself capable of love like why would he even invoke that emotion right like love has no presence in his life Um, i knew this would widow your mother and orphan you but i found my destiny so i abandoned my son This is a good way to have you in IMDb quotes. Because I I can't memorize song. I can't memorize uh, uh, lines like I usually can uh, if I've just seen the film. If I've seen the film, I can pretty much memorize, like, quotes verbatim, but... I will say for myself, uh, there are some movies that are too close. And it just... I can't... It's too close emotionally, and I just cannot... uh, I can't imprint it that much on my mind Uh, yes probably the closest thing is uh the scene in the godfather where Vito and michael are together in the orchard and Vito is talking about all the things that he wish michael had been senator corleone um and michael says like you know there's still time pop uh i probably butchered that but that is you know one of those moments that i think about all the time and there is so much potential how ironic we're talking about memorizing the lines exactly and we are fucking it up (laughs) um but you know another perfect daddy issues movie godfather almost like it's a recurring theme through cinema Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. anything else in ad astra I don't know. I mean, I think we could do this for like five more hours, so we should probably. Right. This was always right. gonna yeah, be, be the episode. Um, they were at least. I would say this in painting. At least is... for me, it was always this was always what it was gonna be. Um, yeah. No, this film because I love this movie, but I think this this really hits. No, yeah, it's it it's. It's one of the more foundational films of the 2010s for me as a lover of film and also just as a person. Um, it was, it's a very important movie to me. Um, that's why when I read uh, Roxana's piece in, on Roger Ebert um, that I always wanted to have her on the most. Um, and, you know, she suggested it as well, but... Um, this was always what the episode was going to be because I, yeah, the movie, uh, means a lot to me in a lot of ways. Um, and it's just something I, uh, I will never forget. Is James Gray your guy? It's so funny. I have not seen many James Gray films. Uh, I have, um, only seen The Immigrant, Lost City of Z, and this. Um. Yeah, it's 2010s. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think um, first I would love I'm, to cover Lost City of Z. I would love to cover that. You guys should. I feel like that is yeah. so such a fascinating film, especially uh, compared with the source material. I honestly think somebody, if somebody did like a David Gran adaptations podcast, that would be really interesting. Um, but I also uh, I just want to say that, Clay, I'm very honored by that. And I'm glad that we... Mm venn diagrammed in our minds for this right um should we do favorite scenes so that we can just get like even more emotional favorite scene i don't think that there's a clear winner i mean there is for me but that's just because of my personal attachment to it 
I'll just take it uh, because, and I know we already kind of talked about it. It's kind of cheap, but uh, no, the the scene where him and his father talk for the first time, um, that's just something that's will just stick with me. That emotion and um, the way that that scene is filmed, I can recreate images from my head of it, uh, even years after seeing it. So, yeah, that's my favorite scene. Cataracts, I don't see very well. Hi, Dad. You alone? Oh, yeah. Captain always goes down with the ship. I've been here quite a while alone. Trying to stop this goddamn surge. What happened? The last loyal few tried to escape and they started all this. They caused a meltdown out there, Roy. We fought and our struggle caused catastrophe. That's why I'm here. We're gonna stop it. It's two of us back home, maybe. Oh. Yeah. This is home. This is a one-way voyage, my son. You talking about Earth? There was never anything for me there. I never cared about you or your mother or any of your small ideas. For 30 years, I've been breathing this air, eating this food, enduring these hardships. And I never once thought about home. I know, Dad. I knew this would wit on you, mother, and orphan you. But I found my destiny.
So I abandoned my son. I still love you, Dad. I'm taking you back. I have work to do. I have infinite work to do. I must find intelligent life. It's time to go. We don't have much time. I probably would have said Space Pirates, but mm -hmm. we already discussed Space Pirates. So I will say, and we talked about this too, but I, I do think the scene where he, where Roy breaks protocol and sends a different kind of message, like that, right? Like that is the turn that the film needs to get us to the finale and take us then into the next turn which is clay's scene which is that reunion that then sets up the final moment of like emergence of roy's character into a new phase but in terms of uh, like recreating images from your mind we haven't talked a ton about the production design of this movie um mm. but that yeah that there's a few scene yeah that scene uh like he has come into this room through like the neon red hallway accompanied by ruth nega's character he's going from like this very uh it, it feels like mars right right like red everywhere all of this lighting into this hallway which is covered with soundproofing i think it, he's recording like, a podcast yeah. yeah, that looks like yeah. rock formations. Uh, mm -hmm. Like all of the segments of the paneling are in lines of three. There's just so much uh, visual interest to this space. And the entire Mars facility is so just. Like, I mean, yeah, the colors, bizarre. yeah, right. <laughs> the colors are incredibly weird. So for him to go from this, like, very. Dante-esque going through hell hallway to then this very sort of like subterranean earthly space where he is sending this message out into the cosmos to his father and then finally he moves into that room which is full of like a moving like digital display where they're showing uh, like video of earth right it's like waves and like flower fields and all the stuff that they don't have on Mars um, so I would say it's cheating to say that like the entire sequence is my favorite scene um, when it's really specifically that sending 
a message moment, but I did just want to talk briefly about Jack, you mentioned this earlier, but like all of the literal and figurative world building that is going into these places so that we recognize them as, okay, humans are here. Humans are trying to do what humans do uh, in these places that like we probably should not. answered a mayday call and uh, ended in tragedy. We lost the captain. Your answer is being processed. Please continue. Well, that's it. I mean, we, we go to work, we do our jobs, and then it's over. We're here and then we're gone. Please describe how the incident itself affected you. The attack. full of rage. I understand that rage. I've seen that rage in my father. I've seen that rage in me. Because I'm angry. He took off. He left us. You know, but when I, when I look at that anger and I, if I push it aside and just put it away, all I, all I see is hurt. I just, I just see pain. I think it keeps me walled off, walled off from relationships and opening myself up and, you know, really caring for someone. And I don't know how to get past that. I don't know how to get around that. And it worries me. And I don't want to be that guy. psychological evaluation has been approved if you wish to obtain a complete I think I think I'll just I'm it leads me um I think it's just because we've we've not talked about this name that much that I would like to choose the scene of Donald Sutherland no. uh, when so he's good. clipped and does not continue the mission. I feel like that's... No, he has a heart like attack. A pretty sturdy... Oh, yeah. No, that's what I... Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, it, yeah, like, it's just a really, like, sturdy um, performance and, like, like he is... J- like, it, it, James Gray's one of, like, great directors of actors. Um, 
the the way where he was like checking in on Roy and like seeing like a colleague of his dad's like shows like so much pathos to that story like so much that goes on outside of the frame and before mm-hmm. the movie I think just that level of like intensity I feel like is so well done hello Roy I'm here to go on this trip with you keep my eye on you Colonel Pruitt good to meet you actually we met that's a long time ago I knew your dad we were close, he and I. Started out together, went to, went to Purdue together. He was a brilliant man. I know. Yeah. And I remember going to the house and seeing you. You were running around everywhere. You drove your poor mother nuts. But how do you feel? Is this part of my psyche <laughs> Uh No, not really, but yes. I mean, you're going to be monitored constantly, your mental state, your emotional state. You have a direct connection with the subject. Colonel, for what it's worth, I think my father's dead. Yeah, um, I was a lunar astronaut for Spacecom for 31 years. And I came to the realization out there, a voyage of exploration can be used for something as simple as escape. I'm telling you this, Roy, because we have to hold out the possibility that your father may be hiding from us. Do you think you're ready to go? He's supposed to be my security blanket. I'm fine. Why does he still do it? Why can't he just let go? My dad couldn't either. Major, we've been expecting you. If you have any personal business you need to tend to, I suggest doing it now. Your rocket will leave momentarily. Stand down, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Why? Just uh, let me sit down. Uh, Colonel, what is it? I'm not going to be able to go with you to Mars. But there are things you need to know, Roy. Every minute counts. Space come. Communicated with me. It is classified. Take it. It will put you at great risk. Do not trust you in space cone. But it is crucial. Ah. Sergeant! You have to go, Roy. Go. Go! There are a few names.
names that we have not mentioned is Max Richter. I was literally right about to say. Divorce. Yes, of course. I feel like we're like edging Max Richter. Oh my god. Um, and yeah, I mean, Clay Cook. I mean, he's my favorite composer. Um, uh, his work on the leftovers is amazing. Uh, it's just some of the I don't think television compositions have ever gotten better. Um, that it's just his masterpiece. But also, this film is he's doing incredible work with. Um, I think for like reshoots or like the studio um, also added uh, was it Lauren Balfi um, to do yes. some of it. Uh, he's just one of those studio guys that they grab once in a while. Um, he has had some really pretty solid scores, um, and I think he did he does some solid work here. Michelle yeah, Balfi. good action adventure guy. Mm. Um, definitely not as unique or as interesting as uh, uh, Richter. I mean, not not many people right. are. Uh, but yes, I mean, all this, uh, or I forget what the, he, they, he released like a single of it, of the, uh, one of his tracks right before the film even came out. To the yes, stars. To interesting. The stars. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, um, I mean, it's just, he's a fucking, you know, he's a rock star without being a rock star. He's, uh, just one of the great composers yeah. we have. Um, his work is incredible. Um, and truly a match made in heaven with james gray but also with the setting of space um it's always it's crazy that he, that's not like most of the films he's composed it's like it should be almost all of them because it's just a really perfect match um with you know that yeah. the expanse of it the loneliness of it the contemplative nature of space and i think yeah i think richter, richter is just uh, just an incredible musician if there's one more name before we truly end things, it's Hoyt Of course. We have to. Um, of course. Right? I feel like uh, another, like, brilliant craftsman who just truly, end, like, adds a level it's of... It's one of the best. Uh, impressive, like, framing to just... Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, I, feel like, I feel like a dummy talking about cinematography, but, like... So much of cinematography is lighting, right? So right. I, I think we can also sort of talk about, like, the variations in lighting and the use of light and dark in this film. The space chase is a great example of that, right? Like, we are seeing the dark side of the moon and how easily this space goes from recognizable airport, military outpost to a complete pitch black alien expanse where you can't see anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we are able to see and perceive. Um, So yeah, and to go back to what Clay was saying about the first time that Roy and Cliff meet, that space station is like all shadows and pockets of darkness that Cliff is moving in and out of before he finally speaks to Roy. Um, So yeah, a lot of it obviously is like the compositions and the framing, but again, I just think there is a lot of like very interesting, uh, compelling uses of light to sort of guide us along this path of Roy himself moving from like a very internal dark space somewhere more realized more enlightened yeah Yeah. um can we also um, talk about the production designer i do need to say that because i love how it's made um kevin thompson who has such an interesting career because he went from ad astra 
to the king of Staten Island. That's so oh. funny. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah, actually I do, very... I do know, now that you bring it up, I do notice similarities. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jack. Thank the you. production that were yeah. designed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, he also did, uh, he did Birdman. Uh, he did some Succession stuff. So a really interesting sort of like, he doesn't really seem like a genre guy. No, no, very so grounded. To, yeah, so to have gotten such a uh, like iconically <clears throat> genre film from someone who it looks like does a lot of like domestic spaces, I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. Oh, oh, he did Michael Clayton. Okay, here we go. Oh, yes, yeah. of course, of course, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah, here we are. Okay, yeah. there we go. It, it all, all leads us back to It all leads Michael back Clayton. to Michael Clayton. Yeah. <laughs> you found the right office for... Um, uh, Michael Clayton to take the the photo on the flip phone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's I, probably one like one of the great like space films of the 2010s. I think of those auteur like mm-hmm. space driven films, this is like at the top shelf. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree. Um, but this is just like a perfect version of what like if. James Gray's great uh, influences are Kubrick and Francis Coppola. Of course. Then this is kind of like what that combo can produce, I think. Like, like the, yeah, it's really like a very unique film in that way. Uh, Roxana, thank you so much for being here. We love you, you of course. Oh, um, you guys too. You are just such like an inspiration to us both. Oh my god, it's don't. True. Ew. It's true. Uh, <laughs> a, uh, like someone we admire greatly. And we're going to kiss your butt some more by having you uh, tell everybody where they can find you online if they made it this far into this very sad episode. Yeah. Um, through your tears and your piles of tissues, uh, you can find me at Vulture. You can still, for some reason, find me on Twitter. I really, every time I say it, I'm like, why? I don't know. Um, and uh, as Clay mentioned, I did a few years ago write an essay about how much I love this film for RogerEbert.com. Uh, which is also a publication that everyone should be reading. Uh, I can be found Twitter, unsure why. How long? Uh, ETA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on Letterboxd, Jack Draper 7, uh, Boston Hassel, film on, writing on film is over there. Um, this movie is available nowhere, streaming. It is available nowhere streaming, which, again, I'm saying if you can find a Blu-ray, buy it. Right. The visual quality is beautiful. That is what I rewatched it on. Uh, Yes. And I think it's, I don't know, probably like $10. Just, like, buy it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I tend to say that a lot, but you know who I stole this from was our friends at Next Picture Show? Mm Because they'll say, like, where a movie is streaming. And I'm like, uh, not a lot of these are streaming, but... No. Movies that we don't cover are always streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, support physical media. This is the kind of movie that should be supported by physical media because it looks gorgeous. Next episode, we're joined by Matt Singer. Oh, for nice. The Adventures of Tintin. Very similar. Oh, interesting. And uh, thrilled to have that be a part of our catalog. It's her first you can Jackson. Buy Ad Astra. 
I'm sorry, Clay. I was just going to say that you can buy Ad Astra. <laughs> Not really. On 4K for $20 at Target or used for like $7 at various online bookstores. So you have options. Very nice. Yeah, it's a pretty exceptional 4K. Um, everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter, Letterbox, Instagram. You can follow the podcast word account at ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exiting through the 2010s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on any podcast platform you listen to us on, too. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, retweet, share with a friend. Um, rock to some, walk, uh, walk up to someone in the middle of the street. Repeat the monologue that Brad Pitt gives when he gives his baseline and then say, hey, go listen to Exiting Through the 2010s and then run away. Or can I offer an alternate? If you're ever in space, consider listening to us. Like, that'd be kind of neat. That'd be great. Doug Lyman, Tom Cruise. To cruise up to Mars. Listen to our podcast (laughs) when you're making that fucking movie, okay? Yeah. Um, Right, right. And anyone... That we've had on this pod, like listen to their pods, and you know, mm-hmm. sure. Our only request, a, we don't ask just for much. Create a whole pirate radio network when you're attacking convoys on the moon. Absolutely, just go for Absolutely. it. Absolutely, you gotta need you need something to listen to when you're doing that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Be good to yourselves. Support the ceasefire movement happening for Gaza. Um, stay safe. Be kind. And we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s. All right, so I'm going to start recording us now. <laughs> I know. That's so, it's so, it's so annoying. I know. <laughs>